uh, Mercy Tree, Kendall looked up at me and said, do you think it's still there? And I said, nope. And turned around and as soon as I turned around, I turned back to her and said, but he is. He is. That's why we worship. We don't worship a piece of wood. We don't worship a relic. We don't worship an object. We worship the God who gave that object meaning. We worship the God who is still there. Who is not decayed, who is not rotted. But when we bow, he hears. And when we sing, he hears. And when we pray, he hears. And he carries out every purpose of his will. I just spent a week teaching a class on student ministry. Why in the world would you have children and youth shoulder to shoulder with adults worshiping? Because of moments like that. Sorry. I'm trying not to ugly cry up here. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, let's flip a page here. How many of you enjoy being happy? Let's do a, an official survey. All right, I was going to ask you to raise your hands. How many hands are going up, right? All of a sudden, you guys are all charismatic. Good. <laughs> you enjoy being happy. All right, good deal. How many of you would say, I enjoy being blessed? Okay. Now, the rest of you who didn't raise your hands on either one of those, Why? <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Like, I'm not raising my hand for nothing, buddy. I'm afraid you'll call on me, right? <laughs> we, we enjoy being blessed, don't we? We enjoy being happy. I enjoy being happy. Now, how, how would you define blessed, what it means to be blessed? You don't have to, you don't have to shout it out or anything, but just think about that for a minute. If, you, if I said write on your order of worship or on your, in your notebook, define what it means to be blessed, what would you put? How would you define that? Yeah, I know. I, I know moments where I think I'm happy. I'm just kind of on cloud nine, right? I know moments where I'm feeling really blessed. In high school, I felt really blessed the last day of AP calculus. I was free. I was done. I was happy. In college, I was pretty happy, and I remember the feeling of blessing when Steph walked out her door, the sidewalk, the first time I picked her up was I tricked her into dating me. That was a pretty high moment of happiness for me, right? In 2004, there was a moment where I was able to drive over to Chapel Hill and see North Carolina and Duke at the Dean Dome. That's a pretty big game, a pretty exciting time. I was happy. I wasn't happy at the end because Duke beat us on a buzzer beater. But man, in that moment, I was happy. I felt blessed. Look what I get to do, right? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Is there a deeper 
maybe a more significant meaning of blessing than what we might think about and just say, you know, at the end of this day, something happened. I'm blessed. Man, this was a blessed day. Or, oh, wow, he's a blessed man. Right? Is there a deeper, more significant meaning? I I think there is. I think you in here in this room would would agree with me, right? Just listen to Psalms. Psalms gives us a a kind of a plethora of pictures, a, a really clear picture of what it means to be blessed. Just listen to these. Psalm 1. We read, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So if you delight in the law of the Lord, the psalmist says you're a blessed man, right? In Psalm 40, verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. If you're a man of faith, a person of faith, that you trust in the Lord, that, that's who you would say, Lord, I need you. You're a blessed man, a blessed individual. Psalm 41.1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Do you think upon the poor? Do you think upon the one who is in a, a needy situa- situation, whether that is financial or any other situation, or poor in spirit, in desperate need of Christ? They're spiritually bankrupt and perhaps don't even know it. Do you consider the poor? You're blessed. Psalm 65, 4, blessed is the one God chooses and brings near to dwell in his courts. You are blessed if that describes you. Psalm 85, 5, blessed are those whose strength is in God, whose heart, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. This is the blessed man. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. So perhaps times that we wouldn't necessarily think we're happy because God is disciplining us. God's word says in those moments you are indeed blessed. Psalm 119, 1 through 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. If that is the trajectory of your life, that you're walking in the way of the Lord, that you're walking a life that is blameless, if you're keeping his testimonies, if you're seeking him, this habitual trajectory that you're on the path of walking with the Lord, the psalmist says you are blessed. Psalm 127.5 says, Blessed is he who is a father who has children, for children are a blessing of the Lord. It, it actually says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And it gives the the illustration, the picture of children being an arrow that we would send forth into the world for the glory of God. And it says, blessed is the man who arms and fills his quiver with children. Psalm 146, 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord our God. Who do you hope in? Who do you hope in? If you hope in the Lord, the psalmist says, you are blessed. You are blessed. The psalmist gives us a beautiful description, a beautiful picture of he who is blessed. This morning, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper in a few moments, I want us to turn to Psalm 32. A psalm that gives us a picture of what it means to be blessed as well. And I want us to just spend some time in here and think about four things. We're going to look at this psalm, and and if you're a note taker, maybe this will help you. We're going to talk about a blessing to rest in that we'll see in this psalm. We'll talk about a story to learn from in the psalm, an instruction to heed, 
and a truth to rejoice in. Here's Psalm 32 this morning. This is titled a mascal of David or most likely an instruction of David is what that would mean. Meaning in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I want to start by thinking about what's going on in this psalm. David is, is reflecting on a past sin. Some, some scholars think that this may be the same sin that Psalm 51 refers to, but there's no certainty of that. What we do know is that where Psalm 51 appears to be a, to have been written very near to that, very, very close and very specific. Uh, this psalm, uh, Psalm 32, seems to have been written kind of down the road as he sits back and looks back and reflects and thinks about what's happened. This psalm was Augustine's favorite psalm. He had it written on the wall of his room beside his bed as he lay on his deathbed before he died, and he was, he was quoted as saying, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. Augustine said that if you want to know knowledge, you need to first know that you're a sinner. The, the question I think that we ask when we come to this psalm that perhaps is helpful just to, just to kind of get our minds in the right spot is why do we need this psalm? Why, why is it that God inspired David to write this psalm? Why did he lead him to write this psalm? Why did he preserve it for 2,000, well, more than 2,000 years for us to be able to, to gather today and to read it and to think upon it and to have it to know and to meditate upon and hide in our heart? Why would he do that? That the simple reason is that we all sin and we need forgiveness. We all sin and we need forgiveness. There are a lot of subjects that I could talk about or come here and put before you, and it would, some of you would identify with this one and some with that one. And, and the reality is, is that, man, when we come and we talk about sin, every one of us identify with that, don't we? Every one of us stand in need of Christ, in need of His redemption, in need of His forgiveness. Every one of us. 
We all need it. And here's the problem, is that we can be reluctant at times to come before the Lord in confession and forgiveness. We can, we can be resistant of that. The, the people who know that they need it, the people that, that would gather and say, I know that I'm a sinner, we can still be reluctant and resistant to come before the Lord and seek His forgiveness. It really, at times when you think about it, you step back, it doesn't really make good sense, does it? You would think we would be the ones that would be running to the cross, running to Him, confessing our sins, and calling upon the Lord for forgiveness. And I hope you are. But the reality is that at times we can be hesitant and slow to do that. So we have Psalm 32. So let's talk first about verses 1 and 2, a blessing to rest in. A blessing to rest in. These verses are describing the reality for the believer. It's describing what is true for you in this room that are followers of Christ, who have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Listen to what David writes. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, you may remember Paul quotes this in Romans 4, verses 7 and 8. Romans 4 is the, the chapter where he's setting Abraham up as the example, the supreme example that even the one that you might consider as righteous, he is justified by faith. Right? And so Paul calls upon this text, these two verses, and he quotes this when he's putting forth Abraham as the example. And he goes on to say it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, all stand in need of forgiveness. Everyone in this room, everyone across the globe stands in need of forgiveness. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, white, black, male, female. It doesn't matter. We all stand in need of forgiveness. Now, here, David uses three words to describe sin. Do you see them? Look in these, these, these verses. Do you see there's three words he uses? What are they? Transgression. Iniquity and sin. I don't know if somebody say, I'm getting blah, 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 blah. It's hard. I'm, I'm assuming you've named those three, right? All right? So transgression, sin, and iniquity are the three words that he uses there. Right? Transgression is rebellion. It's rebellion. It's, it's that we would rebel against God, rebel against the one who is the sovereign Lord of all creation, the one who is the creator of and, and rules over all of creation. We would rebel against his authority. What he has set forth, we've rebelled against him. That would be transgression. Sin, you might have heard a, semin, a, a, a sermon in the past where it describes sin. The word here used for sin is missing the mark. It's missing the mark. Missing the mark specifically usually in, is in reference to God's word. That one would miss the mark of God's holy standard, his holy word. His commandments, that we would fall short of that and miss the mark. When he says iniquity, he's, he's referencing just the corruption due to sin. Our, our corruption, our crookedness of sin. The iniquity that is in us and, and it consumes us because of our sin. So we have rebelled, we have fallen short, we are corrupt. But specifically, we've rebelled against God. We've fallen short of His holy standard. And we are absolutely corrupt within. Charles Spurgeon called this the three-headed dog that stands at the gate of hell. 
sin, transgression, iniquity, growling and barking and intimidating and striking fear and guilt and regret and shame into the lives of those God has created. But thanks be to God that His grace has silenced the dog. His grace has chained it up. And His power is supreme. Look at the three ways that He describes God's response to those things. So David says, here's three types of sin. Transgression, sin, iniquity. But look at God's action. God's action is that He brings about forgiveness. He covers sin. And He does not count iniquity against those who are His. So, we see the weight of our sin forgiven. Or lifted off our shoulders. That we might bear it no more. We see the the filthy stain of our sin covered by the blood of Christ. That the one who could once not behold and look upon our sin now looks upon us and sees the blood of his own son. Thanks be to God for his blood and his forgiveness and the beauty of that forgiveness in our lives. The guilt that was once ours for what we had done is no longer counted against us. Christian, this is an incredible state of blessing that you need to realize this morning. That if you are here and you're a child of the Lord, you sit in great hope of blessedness before the Lord. That you sit knowing that, yes, I am indeed a sinner, but my sin has been covered. Yes, I have rebelled. I have rebelled, but God has forgiven me of that rebellion. He's lifted it off of my shoulders. Yes, I am corrupt to the core, but He counts not my iniquity against me. Why? Because the work of Christ on the cross. Listen, if you are here today and you are not a believer, there is no hope found in moralism. There is no hope found in any worldly philosophy, anything you could attempt, anything you could learn, any amount of education you could get. Hope is found in Christ alone. Hope hope is found in Christ alone because He alone brings life to your dead soul. He alone cleanses you by His blood. Hope is in Christ alone and you have to be directed to come to Christ. Please, please come to Christ, we would ask. Now, if this is the state, this is the blessing to rest in, right? If If that's what it is, then I think some of us would go, well, who in their right mind wouldn't come to Christ and ask confession or ask forgiveness? Who, who wouldn't come and confess their sins to him? And so now David says, well, let me just give you a picture. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a story to learn from. This is where David inserts his story in verses 3 to 5. So he kind of gives two sides of his story, two moments, two occurrences. The first is in verse 3 and 4. In this instance, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Now, now here you see the first time, the first occurrence of the, the little cue on the side of your psalm, right? Selah, which is a pause or a rest. And I, those are strategically put in psalms, right? The writers want us to, to think and, and to think about where we stop and pause. And so if we stop and pause there, we just reflect on the fact that sin, unconfessed sin, eats away at you. 
and you kind of mull on that and think upon it and think about, man, when David kept silent, he, he had physical, mental agony. Right? He says his bones wasted away. He was groaning all day long. There was, there was agony he went through. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. He was bringing conviction upon David. He was weighing upon him, convicting him of his sin. And as David says, my strength was dried up. It was dried up, just like in the summer. And the grounds that are wet and soggy right now in the summer will be as hard as asphalt. Because they're dried up and zapped by the summer scorching heat. Have you been there? Have you ever been there? Where, where you just kept silent about a sin? For whatever reason, you didn't confess it. You didn't take it before the Lord. You tried to hide it. You were too ashamed of it. I've already brought this to you before, God. I don't want to bring it again. Do you know the experience that David speaks of here? I would say most of us in here do. His second account... So that's one side of the story. Here's the second. is in verse 5. He gives another instance. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So in this moment, David no longer tried to hide it. He, he confessed it to the Lord. What was the result? Guilt? Condemnation? No. What was the result? Forgiveness. He said, I, I confessed my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. I, I didn't cover up my iniquity. I just laid it bare before you. God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. God, I confess that to you. I acknowledge that to you. God, I have rebelled against you. Here's all my transgressions. Here's what I've done. You said to do this, and I did that. I have rebelled. And you forgave my iniquity. You gave me grace full and free. You, you poured out your mercy on me. You showed me grace. You showed me kindness. You showed me love. Man, we, we can relate to this, can't we? I mean, this is, this is just real life for us, isn't it? There's times where we hide things. There's times where we don't. There's times when we come before the Lord, and when we come before the Lord, we experience His grace. We experience His forgiveness. We've known the agony of sin's weight. But thanks be to God, we've known the freeing power of His grace. Right? It, it reminds me of, of Luke 15. Luke 15, the prodigal son. If you want, you can turn there. In Luke 15, the, we'll just be there for a second, but listen to what happens in, in Luke 15. Something really interesting we won't cover the whole story, but starting in verse 17, the, the son had rebelled. He had left home. He had gone and squandered all of his inheritance, living in sin. And the text says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread to eat? But I perish here with hunger. So he's come to the bottom of the barrel. He's squandered everything. He's lived there, right? But something changes. 
And he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. So he has decided, I'm going to come back to my father. And he plans his confession. He knows what he's going to say. He's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's thinking, I'm going to confess and I'm going to come back. And I, I, I hope that God's going to welcome me back in. But I realize that as he does, it's just not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. I'm going to be one of his servants, and that's really what I deserve. I should be treated as a servant. So in verse 20, he says, And he arose, and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, what happens? His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, here comes his confession, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But it stops right there. It stops right there. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost, he is found, and they began to celebrate. The child of God does not lose his sonship because he sins. He thought, I'm going to confess, I'm going to come back and things are going to be different. And the faithful father looks and says, you are my son, and we're celebrating. This is a picture of grace. Did he deserve that? Absolutely not. It's a picture of God's beautiful, incredible, awesome grace. The son had returned. And David says, listen, there was a time when I kept silent. My bones wasted away. I experienced all sorts of groaning and agony. But when I came before the Lord and I confessed my sin, I confessed my transgressions, God forgave me and cleansed me of every one of them. The son had returned. Listen, the reality is is that some of you guys are sitting here today and you're just drowning in bitterness. Some of you are are sitting and, and you're just sitting in the midst of immense guilt over something in the past. A wrong you've done, a, a rebellion that you've committed. Some of you sit with unwavering anger against another person. It doesn't matter what that person says, it doesn't matter what that person does, you are angry at that person. And that anger is leading you to sin, to think sinful thoughts, to say sinful things. Some of you sit crushed by regret. I wish I hadn't had done that. I wish I had said something differently. I wish I hadn't had that abortion. I just wish I could do it over again. Some of you are simply smothered by shame hoping that no one finds out, pretending that God doesn't know. Acknowledge your sin to God. 
Do not cover your iniquity. Say to the Lord, I will confess my transgressions to you, O Lord, and know that He will forgive the iniquity of your sin. Rest in that. Know that. Verses 6 through 9, David gives us an instruction to heed. So he gave us a blessing to rest in and story, and now an instruction to heed. He says, Let everyone, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time in which you may be found. Listen, what does this tell us? He doesn't say, Let all the second rate Christians do this. He doesn't say, Let all the ungodly. He says, Let the godly offer prayer to God in a time when he may be found. Listen, the godly are not sinless. They're not sinless. If you have this picture that because I'm, I'm sinful, I'm not godly, that, that's not the picture we see in Scripture. The picture we see in Scripture is that the godly are ones that recognize their sin and they fully depend upon the Lord and they come before Him seeking forgiveness. The godly are, are the ones that are trusting Christ, that say, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour, every day, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I can't erase my guilt. I can't erase my shame. I can't change my regrets. I can't get rid of the anger. I need you. That's the godly, the one who runs to the Lord. This is what Ricky read in 1 John 1, right? That in, in, in God there is light. He's the life of men. And if, if you are not honest with yourself, if you're not one that says, you know what, I have sin, I sin. If you would say, I don't, then you're lying. John says, you're lying. We all have sin. And as a matter of fact, it even gets worse. If you're going to say you don't have sin, you're calling God a liar. And so John, writing to God's people, says what? That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now why does he write that to believers? Because believers need to be confessing their sins to the Lord. I need to be coming before the Lord and confessing my sin to the Lord. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but I do that a lot more than you probably want me to. Well, maybe not want me to. think I should. I don't know. I've, I've had the time of confession and asking God for forgiveness this morning. And I would say there's a lot of us in here who have. And the rest of us should. It's an instruction to heed. But look at what he says. When you come before the Lord, he says, listen, you need to know that in the rush of great waters, they're not going to reach you. The floods that press in, they're not going to reach you. They're not going to hurt you. God is your hiding place. He will preserve you from trouble. And he will surround you with shouts of deliverance. And Scripture is beautiful. The soul weighed down with sin comes before the Lord. And Scripture says, God is going to surround you with shouts of deliverance. <laughs> with, with the saints, angelic beings surround, shouting. Look at the deliverance of the Lord. Look at the grace of God in His life displayed. A dirty, rotten sinner, corrupt, transgressor, rebel. 
with God's grace showered upon him. Shouts of deliverance. Shouts of deliverance. Some of you who were on Facebook last night later than you should have been saw a song that I posted. It was written by Joseph Hart in 1759. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Do you know this? Some of you are saying this. It's hard to read without singing. I am going to warn you that. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground your maker lies. On the bloody tree behold him, sinner. Will this not suffice? Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of His blood. Venture on Him, venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. Let not conscience make you linger. Not of fitness fondly dream. He's not talking about your physical shape here when he says fitness. He's talking about fitness as in, am I fit for heaven? So let not conscience make you linger, not of fitness finally dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Here's the refrain. I will rise and go to Jesus. I will, he will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms oh come ye sinners poor and needy come to the Lord why would we not come maybe, maybe you're buying into the lies that Satan says that you won't be forgiven maybe, maybe you have a faulty understanding of the good news of the gospel right that, that you, you've missed the fact that man when he died and he shed his blood his blood will suffice it will cover it will cleanse Maybe you're seeking to be fit. Maybe you're trying to be worthy. Maybe you're trying to get to a certain point where you clean up your act and then I become a Christian. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The only fitness that's required is that you realize, man, I need Christ. And without Christ, there's no hope. I need Christ. Maybe you're just waiting till you do better. Joseph Hart says, if, if you wait till you're better, you're never going to come at all. Come ye sinners. Come ye sinners. Poor and needy. We, everyone, it doesn't matter what your bank account says, everyone in this room is poor and in need of Christ and of His goodness and his holiness and his righteousness that we cannot merit on our own so david leaves us in the last two verses with the truth to rejoice in he just makes a statement he's looking back he's reflecting and he says many are the sorrows of the wicked oh <laughs> but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the lord Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds you who trust in the Lord. 
So now David just bursts forth in excitement. Right? Look at what he writes. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You know, maybe we should read that like, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout. He, surely he doesn't mean shout. Yeah, he does. Be glad. Shout. Man, there's some, there's some good things that happen when we shout. If I can shout for Carolina, I can sure shout for my God. Shout for the Lord. He is an awesome God. And He is worthy of our praise. He is so worthy of our praise. So today we gather at the Lord's table. Today we come and we gather not as those who are sinless, but those who are desperately wicked and sinful. F-U-L-L. We gather as those who are absolutely and wholly in need of Christ. But thanks be to God for the work that Christ did on the cross to save us and to cleanse us. To accomplish our salvation. That all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. So we gather to partake of the Lord's Supper to remember what He has done. To remember His body broken and His blood shed for us. If you're here and you're visiting with us, and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would invite you to observe the Lord's Supper with us. This is not the table of Grace Baptist. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we gather to remember His work. I would just remind you of the double cup, so make sure you get both the bread and the, the juice as it comes around. Don't let that intimidate you. As our deacons make their way down to prepare to serve the elements, I just want to invite you to enter into a time of prayer. Enter into a time in which you examine yourself and you would confess your sins to the Lord. And that you would know the forgiveness full and free that is found in Christ. Let's pray and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Thank you.